Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Marcus Whitney, an incredibly accomplished businessman and now author. What a story Marcus has, really from the very bottom waiting tables to business builder and now author. So, so cool. So let's just get right into our conversation. All right, Marcus, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on here. Alex, thank you for having me, man. Um, I'm excited to be speaking with you. You've told me that you launched your book yesterday. So congratulations on that. Super exciting. And a book is just and now a published author. That's just one small facet of, uh, of who Marcus Whitney is, right? Uh, yeah, for sure, man. But, I, but I'll tell you what, it took five years to get it done. Uh, it ranks up there with the hardest things I've ever done, for sure. Um, but we had a great launch day yesterday, hit number one bestseller on Amazon in six different categories. And uh, I'm thrilled. I feel like I've created something that I can leave as a legacy for my kids and, and uh, for generations to come. So it feels you know, almost more meaningful than any of the other stuff I've done. Wow. That's so cool and right. That is something about publishing a book. It seems so lasting, right? Like making these podcasts, uh, it doesn't seem anywhere near as permanent or as difficult as becoming an author. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult in a different way, right? So it's difficult in that people fade, right? You know, pod fading, right? People uh, think it's going to be easy, but then you have to book guests all the time and you have to do with the promotion of the episodes to actually grow them. So podcasting has its own difficulties, but a book, the thing that was difficult about a book was, you know, a solid book's going to be 250 pages and for your listeners, that's a, that's a little over 50,000 words. And so it's one thing to write an article. It's another thing to write a blog post, right? You know what I mean? A social post, a tweet. But to try to take a concept, an idea, um, something you're trying to communicate and knock out 50,000 plus words and actually have it organized in a way that makes sense and that people can consume and has a progression and has a narrative and is useful and won't put them to sleep is so difficult. I, like I, I, I thought I understood but it was probably the third time I tried to write the book that I really understood like, wow, this is unbelievably hard. So hard. Yeah. I, I can only imagine, Marcus. So where did the inspiration for this book come from? Like how, why, what, where is it inside of you that, that wanted to do this? Uh, in 2014, I did a TEDx talk. And this was, let's call it uh, 15 years into my career. And at that point, um, I... I had a story. It wasn't the story I have today, but it was a story of going from being uh, a college dropout who was waiting tables to teaching myself how to code to breaking into entrepreneurship. That's about sort of where I was at that point. And when you get signed up for a TEDx talk, uh, at first you think you know you're going to be fine, and then uh, if you're lucky, you're working for one of these TEDx organizations that has a coach that will quickly uh, help you to understand 
that you're not fine and you're going to need to work somewhere between 40 to 80 hours on your talk to make it uh, even close to good. And so I, I met that coach. I put the time in and what I ended up doing was going back through my story and finding the, the core philosophy that had helped me to uh, achieve success and economic mobility during those first 15 years of my career. Um, simple, simple things, believe, partner up and orchestrate. And I did the talk, the talk went really well, but it is terrifying. If you've never talked in front of 2000 people with the light shining on you and sort of all that stuff, I now speak regularly now, but, but at that time it was terrifying. So I was very insecure. And when I came off stage, uh, and it was during intermission, a teenage girl walked up to me and said, Marcus, I just want to let you know, I'm going to put the words, believe, partner up and orchestrate on my ceiling. So every morning when I wake up, I see them. Um, and that was the point at which I realized like, it, like the round of applause I got when I walked off stage, which was great, didn't do anything to impact my insecurity. I was still insecure when I walked off stage, but when she said that to me, that's when it clicked like, okay, my words and my story could actually impact somebody else. So that was the beginning of me starting to think through, uh, writing a book. And then the next year I made the commitment. Right. Yeah. I mean, actually impacting other people's lives and having that that positive change. And that's pretty much why we're all here. For sure. And, and I think there was something special about the fact that she was a teenager. You know, um, I had teenage kids at that point. And so, you know, just the idea that the thing I'm trying every day so hard to do at home and not doing a great job of, I was able to do on stage and actually, you know, penetrate her, her mind with a concept and with an idea that inspired her. Um, that was so gratifying and so fulfilling. And so, yeah, that was, that was the spark for the book. Right. Okay. So, uh, I've, we've teased the book here a little bit. I want to go back, uh, into, you know, building up who you are and what your career is. And you've mentioned college dropout, teaching yourself to code. And then the idea of this TEDx talk of believe, orchestrate and partner up. Right. Yeah. Um, so where did like, let's get the brief overview of like how you got to that those three beliefs. Yeah. Um, so when I'm, so I'm, I'm hailing out of Nashville, Tennessee. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. When I moved to Nashville in uh, the year 2000, Labor Day 2000, I moved here with a one-year-old wife and the wife was pregnant. Um, I was a college dropout at that point and I was waiting tables at, uh, at a couple of restaurants when I got to town. I didn't know anybody um, and we were staying in a week-to-week -week motel. So, um, you know, making it, but kind of skin of the teeth making it um, with a ton of pressure breathing down my neck with these, you know, one kid and one going to be here in the world in eight months. And uh, I just knew that wasn't going to be sustainable. You know, anyone who's ever waited tables knows some days you make, you know, over $100, some days you might make $20 and you could work a double and make $20. Like that's just the way it is. And so I was just trying to think, what can I do from where I am without the credentials that can transform uh, the future for my family. And in the year 2000, there was this thing called the dot-com boom. It was followed by the dot-com bust, but in 2000, it was the dot-com boom. And that meant there were lots of internet companies kind of popping up all over the country and they had money. And the narrative about them was that there were like high school kids getting hired by these companies and making 60, 70, 80, 90, hundred thousand dollars. And so I was like, well, okay, there you go. If a high school kid can, can do it, then me without a degree can do it as well. And so I started the process of going to bookstores, buying books, and in between tables while I was uh, working or at home, uh, just devouring these books and practicing. Um, you know, when we when we hired a midwife, I, we didn't have the money for it, so we bartered. I built her a website in exchange for her services. Uh, you know, to to bring 
bring our second child into the world. And so um, I, I, over the course of eight months, through study and going to free user group meetings, taught myself how to code and got my first job the day after my second son was born. And that was a complete uh, transformation, you know, uh, going from sort of cash in hand day to day to a situation where now I've got benefits, you know, I'm making $45,000 a year and this is like mind blowing, you know? Um, And yeah, it was just a complete transformation. So that was, that was sort of the first big reinvention that I had. Um, do you want me to keep going? Yeah, no, this is fascinating, Marcus. Okay, I'm cool. loving this. Okay, cool. So, so, um, so I get a job at this company called HealthStream. It's a, uh, it's a education company in the healthcare space, um, e-learning, um, they, they, they teach nurses and, uh, I'm the, like bottom of the rung programmer, content programmer, and I'm doing well and I'm learning and they're giving me more challenging things to work on. But, you know, I'm coming from, I, I didn't go to business school. I didn't graduate from college and I'm going from waiting tables, uh, which is a very sort of weirdly entrepreneurial um, sort of mode of working into an organization that has politics, like office politics. And I don't understand how office politics work. I don't even know what they are. So when I see things that aren't working, I just like go right to the boss and, uh, and at one point I went right to the CEO and like, he gave me a meeting and I totally screwed myself. Like after that meeting, everybody in between me and the CEO basically hated me. And so yeah. I was like trying to find uh, uh, a way to, to win back some favor, but it didn't work. And I, I, I basically had to find a new job. Um, I, I didn't get fired, but I needed to leave before I ended up getting fired. So uh, from there, I went to, a, to an agency a year later. Um, it was better, but I started to just see similar things, much smaller company, but still I'm starting to see these tendencies that are entrepreneurial. Me, me not being satisfied with leadership, me thinking I know everything. Mind you, I don't know how to run a business. I really don't have any, um, leg to stand on in terms of my opinions, but my personality, right? My personality is ambitious and a little bit rebellious you know, and, and creative. I want to like solve problems. And so it's rubbing up against these companies that I'm in. Um, even though I don't have any, any right to be, you know, critiquing these people. So I stay there a year, I leave and then I, and then I land in the right place, which is, uh, in 2003, I I was the fifth employee of an email marketing company called Emma email marketing, uh, here in Nashville. And look, there were five of us, uh, just to kind of set the stage, email marketing is like, you know, sort of dime a dozen today. But remember, in 2003, there were no social networks. The iPhone didn't come out till 2007. So email marketing was actually like the thing in digital marketing. There was nothing right. better than email marketing. People were just were just starting to adopt it back then. So um, so I'm, I'm part of building this, this company. There was only five of us. And basically, we had enough work for 10 people. So everyone was so busy. There was no time for politics. We were all just like, you know, I'm writing the code and I'm also doing customer service for when my code breaks. You know what I mean? Like everyone is doing everything. And it was the, you know, the best four years I've I had as an employee. Um, we, we, we grew the company tremendously. It ultimately ended up getting bought by camp, Campaign Monitor. But it was where I, I first earned equity. It was where I learned how to manage people. It was where I learned how to build a team. It was where I saw the first million dollars come into a company. And because I was the fifth employee, you know, once it grew to 50, I wasn't a founder, but I mean, 
I'm part of that original group and, and I, and I have equity and I have a good title. And so I started to sort of develop as a leader, just naturally as the thing grew. Um, by the end of four years, I, uh, I was, I was ready. I was really, because I was so inspired by, um, by the co-founders, uh, Will Weaver and Clint Smith, uh, who are still good friends of mine, because I was so inspired that by them, but also because once we hit 50 people, we started having office politics. Yep. And I was just like, I don't want to do it. You know what I mean? And so in 2007, I, uh, I, I left to start my entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the real life business school that you just went through. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, and what's, what's so fun about that is 2007, I leave and here's what I know. I know how to, I know customer service. I know how to build products. Um, I know how to sell. I know how to sell because as, as the company grew, you know, I was, I was doing sales engineering. So I was being brought in to like talk to big time clients to sell enterprise level deals and things like that. So I know those things. I know nothing really about architecting a culture. I don't know anything about finance. I don't really understand operations, right? Um, I don't really know how to navigate growth well. These are all things that I just completely took for granted. And I didn't understand that this is what Will and Clint were dealing with every day, in addition to the things I saw and understood. So I leave to go start my business, which was a software development agency, and I'm selling. You know, I'm, I'm starting to generate millions of dollars in revenue, and I built a team of 10 people. I knew how to do that. Um, I'm delivering product. I knew how to do that. But like, my culture is terrible. I, I, I have one customer who grows to represent 70% of my revenue disaster. Never let that happen. Right. So I start making all these super fundamental mistakes. I don't understand finances. My taxes are not being filed correctly. I mean, like you name it, I'm making all the mistakes, all right. the mistakes. And, uh, and they're even worse because I'm making enough money to hire people. So like, I, you know, I'm playing with other people's lives. I mean, I don't mean to be, but my inexperience, uh, and lack of knowledge, that's the result. So, um, you know, this book that I that I wrote, and I can I can go more into into the story, but this book that I wrote, this is the book I wish that that kid in two thousand seven had. You know, when he decided to leave Emma, and he thought he knew what he what he knew, but he doesn't didn't know anything. Um, right. I wrote that book, uh, really getting into the fundamentals of business, getting into the the philosophies of of leadership, the principles that you need to understand in order to operate a business well. Um, that's, that's, that's really what this book is about. Right. And Marcus, it's amazing that you're so self-aware of like the things you do know and don't know, but I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's all in hindsight, right? Like at the time you thought you knew everything, right? I'm going to go out and look at me. I'm, I was early at this company and now I'm going to go build my own company and it's going to be amazing. And, and you did, but these are some of the things that you wished you kind of had in your back pocket as, as, as you went about the journey. Yeah, because you know, I had a company that was making millions of dollars, and uh, I had to shut it down. And and the reason why I had to shut it down is because the client who represented seventy percent of the revenue said, either you become the CTO of this company and bring your people in, or we're just going to pull the the, you know, we're going to pull the contract. I had no leverage. That was it, right? right? So, um, yeah, yeah. The reason why I'm self aware is because I've lost so much. I've yeah, when they say you you either succeed or you, or you learn. Yeah, that's right. You win or learn. You win or learn. That's exactly win or right. Learn, yeah, you win or learn. So I, uh, the reason why I'm self aware is because when you have those losses or those failures, they're undeniable. Unless you're like, you know, 
unless you're a narcissist and you, you have some kind of mental issue where you're, you're unwilling to accept failure, um, you failed. You failed, yeah. right? And if you're going to learn from it, you got to be able to accept it. So I've had some, some failures and I, you know, I put those failures in the book because they're important. That's where I learned the biggest lessons. You know, most of the things I do right today are because I had to fail and I had to fire people I never wanted to fire. I, you know, because, because I screwed up and I ended up owing taxes that, you know, I, I, I had no business needing to owe. I had the money. I just didn't set it aside correctly, or I didn't understand a file or all these different kinds of things. So yeah, the reason why um, I'm self-aware is because I had undeniable failures. Right. And then setting up the beginning of the book is like the core idea of it. Is it, is it for entrepreneurs? Is it helpful for someone working in a big organization or, or really just kind of more for entrepreneurs? You know, with every business, you have to sort of figure out who your, who your product or service is for. Right, who who is this for? And then it can always help other people, but if you don't do that, then you don't know what job you're helping them to do. Right. So I had to kind of pick what what am I actually writing this book for? Who am I writing it for? And what is their job to do? I and I landed on I wrote this book for the first time or the aspiring entrepreneur. Now, if you happen to be um, an entrepreneur in a corporation, yeah, you will still get value out of this book. No question. If you're an experienced entrepreneur, but you don't know, let's say venture capital, I have a great chapter on venture capital in the book that you know will level you up very quickly. But really, this book is for someone who's first time or aspiring. That's that's who I wrote it for. Yep, yep, totally makes sense. I mean, I've like I we, I mentioned before we started this call. I was an investment banker, did it for a bunch of years. It wasn't right for me. I went to business school. Uh, which in hindsight, I wish I had just taken the money that I spent on business school and started the business right. and like like you and learned, failed, whatever. But yeah. at least it would have had um, – anyways, business school, that's another topic, but it wasn't bad. And it's, it's part of my journey. Um, and then, yeah, for the past three years, I've had this you know finance technology startup. And man, the shit that I know now, three years into it, ah, like it would have been so – impactful for us to have known just some of these things. And, you know, maybe I wouldn't be ready to learn them or maybe that just, it wasn't, it wasn't part of our, our journey, but uh, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing how much, you, how much you learn in, a, in a, an entrepreneurial environment. Yeah. I mean, you learn by doing for sure, right? You learn by doing and, uh, and you don't get to know everything before you can start leading. So, the, you know, the, that, that's why the failure is inevitable because, you have to go out there, especially if you're trying to do something new. Uh, you, you ha you're charting a course that's that nobody's done before. So, you know, get after it and and uh, accept that the failures are going to be your best teachers. Yes, and if these things were easy, they would be done by now. Other people would do them. The outcomes wouldn't be massive, but they are not. They're extremely hard, as Elon Musk says. You know, starting a business is like chewing glass and staring into the abyss, and that's it's lonely and hard. And everyone's telling you, "Stop! Don't! It won't work." And you have to have the self belief that this will work. This is I am solving a problem. This is going to happen. Um, but your book will hopefully you know soften some of the some of the edges and and, and make it so that, you, know, you got a few more uh, frameworks and tool sets. That that is the absolute hope. That is the absolute hope. So cool, Marcus. Um, anything, um, you know, any, any, any kind of tidbits uh, from the book of like, you know, things that, that you know, would, would wet, wet someone's beak a little bit? 
Yeah. Um, man, gosh, uh, <laughs> I've been going over so much of this book over the last couple of days. Uh, it's like my mind go- goes a little bit numb, but there, there's one chapter called uh, How to Get Shit Done, uh, and it's about productivity. And I put it pretty early. It's chapter four, because one of the things you do have to figure out if you're going to be uh, an entrepreneur is how to be productive. You know, how to like put numbers on the board, how to like check the the tasks off the list, how to actually make progress, right? And that is not just, and that's not necessarily natural. It is a skill and it's a practice. And there, again, are principles um, attached to that. And so, you know, in there, I, I talk through those. I, I talk through not just time management, but time budgeting, you know, like actually thinking about your time in the same way you think about your money, um, you know, conceptually, like you, you would plan how you're going to spend your money. People don't plan how they're going to spend their time. They just sort of feel these inbound things and slap them on their calendar. And they don't understand, like you have so much control over your time. You can actually strategically designate blocks of time on various days based on how you understand your energy to be as to when you're going to do things, right? Um, and so that one of the beauties of entrepreneurship is that you control your time. And so getting people to to fully sit in that power and then have the, the skills and the tools to fully leverage that power is, is a huge, huge deal. Um, a huge deal. And uh, so that's, that's, you know, that's one of the things that, that I talk about, talk about in that chapter, also talk about the, the iron triangle, which is, um, you know, the center of tension between deadline scope and resources. So anytime you're trying to get a project that's, that's larger than five tasks done, it's a project, it, you know, and so you need to kind of measure things out. And uh, if you're going to get a business going, you're going to have a lot of projects and some of them are going to run in parallel. And you have to start getting good at, you know, estimating what it's going to take to get a project done and actually getting it done when you estimated it was going to get done. You know, I think you know that that's like one of the, that's one of the skill sets you have to get good at. Um, and there's actually a formula for that. There's a way to mentally process the information to be better at estimating projects so that you can more regularly get them done in the time that you estimated you would get them done with the resources that you said it would take to get them done, right? Yeah. That predictability is, that's what operations are. Um, so those are, those are some things uh, that, that are in the book. Awesome. Um, Marcus, I'm so excited to, to go. I, I actually listen to a lot of books, so I'm, I've already downloaded it. So I'm so excited to, uh, to listen to it now. And uh, it's called Create and Orchestrate. And I assume people can get it everywhere they buy books. Yeah, and man, it's on, it's on Amazon. Amazon. Um, and then, uh, I've got a store create, uh, creativepower.co, which is a Shopify store that I set up just because people kept saying they wanted signed copies and you can't get a signed copy from Amazon. So I just went ahead and set up a Shopify. So if they, if they really want a signed copy, they can buy it there. Actually quite a few people have done that. Um, so my hands are going to be tired <laughs> here pretty soon, but, um, yeah, on Amazon, you know, that's, that's obviously the easy thing. Everyone's got an Amazon account, you know, go to Amazon and buy it. Cool, man. Well, this was awesome speaking with you. Really appreciate you coming on here. Hey, Alice, thank you so much, man. Hope it was helpful. All right, Marcus, it was. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks.